This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. So much happening around this Seattle Seahawks team. We got to get all of the uh, perspective, all of the points of view from different people out there and can't leave this guy out of the mix. We've got to bring him in, talk about what they need to do, what they have in front of them. The one, the only big Ray Roberts is with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. How are you, Ray? What up, fam? How you guys doing? We're good. We're good. Uh, first of all, let, let's get your reaction to the, uh, the, the new head coach. Did you have a preferred candidate before this move was made? Of all the people they had spoken to, was there one you're going, man, I hope it's this guy? Uh, not, not really. I just, you know, was just kind of trusting their process. Um, I, I like the, the kind of the influence that uh, Pete has had on this whole organization. So I knew that they'd have a, a pretty thorough process that considered a lot of different things. And I trusted uh, that John, you know, Ben is, uh, you know, kind of first time doing his thing uh, on his own uh, was going to put in a good effort to find the right guy. And, uh, and I thought that finding the right guy was more important than finding the right scheme. And so um, I, I think that they found uh, the right dude uh, for the job simply because that's the guy they chose. So I, I'm rolling with that. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. We just had a talk with Lofa about that same thing, Ray, that it's more about the people than the scheme. I mean, you can come up with all kinds of fancy schemes and ways to defend things. And I know everybody loves to talk about the X's and O's and use all the fancy fancy terminology and things like that. But right now, I mean, I feel like that's if you can, if you can get the best out of your players, you're doing a really good job as a coach, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, in my NFL career, I went through one coaching change here in Seattle and two coaches changes in uh, Detroit. And uh, I'll tell you the one thing, at least for me in the locker room, being a team captain and all that kind of stuff and talking to the, to the guys in the team, nobody was really concerned about scheme as much as they were concerned about connecting with whoever the coach was going to be. And, um, and I have to say, Unfortunately, those coaches didn't really, you know, they did, they do well at the press conference, kill the press conference and all that kind of stuff. Cause you're going to be prepared with all the coach speak and all that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of like a par for the course for the most part. Um, but then the real proof is in the pudding. Like when you get into the locker room, you get in front of a, a group of grown men who do this for a living. This isn't a, a, a college thing that uh, some of dudes are going to, make it to the NFL and some are not, these dudes are at the place that they aim to get to, and this is how they're feeding their families. And so uh, what are you going to do to make that connection? Because it is always – it's about the people, and it's always about the people. It doesn't matter what the the the, the uh, situation is, whether it's in the business world, uh, in your personal life, in your families, and on a football team. It's always about the people. And so those people are going to be who you're going to hire as assistant coaches, that can you know can that can carry your messaging and your connectedness and your and 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 your mantra or whatever it's going to be, uh, and then about the players if they're going to buy in and you know you know Dave yeah you were gone already Dave when uh, Dennis Erickson came here and you know Dennis Erickson came as a hot shot you know college um, coach had done a lot of great stuff in Miami, but I'm telling you when they came when he came here to, and the guys he brought it, it seemed like a bunch of uh, frat boys. <laughs> and it just did not play well in our locker room. It, it just didn't galvanize our team. 
Uh, it didn't galvanize the veterans on the team. Uh, and so it just didn't work. And when I was in Detroit, you know, Bobby Ross came in and Bobby Ross was uh, the exact opposite of, of uh, Wayne Fonts. Wayne Fonts was a very player, like happy-go-lucky kind of rah-rah type of dude. And then Bobby Ross came in and was like a military guy. And then that didn't work, <laughs> you oh, know, boy. even going the exact opposite didn't quite work. And then when he left, um, Marty Martinway came in with uh, Matt Millen. But then you could tell right away in the locker room that Marty Martinway had no authority, that it was all Matt Millen. So you had no respect for him. And so it just didn't work. So, uh, so that's why the proof is in the pudding, man. Like when you, when you get into the locker room and you get in front of the dudes, how are you going to connect with them in a way that they can buy into what you're doing? Mm. Hey, you know, we're all looking at what his impact is going to be on the defensive side of things because, A, that's where he comes from. The the defense of the Ravens looks fantastic. B, that's the biggest problem with the Seahawks team. Uh, the past few years has been their defense. And looking at the offense, though, what what uh, specifically the O-line, I want to get your take on this. Do you feel like they need to be looking at the free agent market and maybe the draft to supplement what they have or maybe replace some of what they have? I'm, I'm curious where your belief is in, in Damian Lewis at this point. And, you know, Dave and I have talked about Abe Lucas and not his ability. We believe absolutely who he is as a player, but... Is that a guy that's going to be available for 17 games, right. 15 games? It feels like he's dealing with something that's chronic in that knee. So do you have to plan and draft accordingly, or how do you see the O-line? Well, first of all, the you know out of, out of his press conference, the one comment that he made uh, uh, that made me you know try to look into what his idea around offense is is when he said that um, that offenses are so complex and explosive nowadays that you can't play one or two defenses and expect to stop them. So you, that means, so most people heard the second part of that, that you have to have a complex, you know, a defensive scheme that is, you know, complex that kind of matches what the offense is doing to stop them. But most people missed the first part where he said that most offenses are complex and explosive uh, nowadays. And so that to me says that I think they want to play offense the same way that they want to be multiple and complex and explosive uh, the same way. And I think in order to do that, you have to first think of exactly what you just said, Bob. What what can this offensive line do and what can they not do? And how does that fit into how we want to play offense? I do think that, uh, unfortunately, the, the knee issue with Abe Lucas is a real problem uh, because this dude is a tone setter to me. He's a, he's a type of dude that could fit any era of football to me. He's a tough dude. He plays tough like that. He wants to drive people into the dirt. You know, he doesn't say a whole lot. He speaks with his pads. I love that. But the best of ability is availability, and I don't know that he's going to be able to do that. So I do think that they need to look at free agent at some uh, – because I think they want to kind of hit the ground running. I don't know that you want to go uh, draft a bunch of young offensive linemen and throw them in and expect um, – that to kind of uh, uh, pick up where you left off and keep it moving. So I think they may look at some veteran offensive linemen, if not for anything, uh, for some depth and some backup. Uh, as, as it relates to Damian Lewis, man, like Damian Lewis has become an okay offensive lineman. I thought he was going to be great. I mean, honestly, like uh, I think when they when Gabe Jackson came and I saw the two of them together in training camp, and I just remember going like, this might be – the best guard tandem in the entire league, and it just never materialized. Uh, Jackson just was not the dude that they thought he was when he was the Raiders, 
And then uh, Damian Lewis just has not, in my opinion, has not progressed to the way that I thought he was. For a guy that was ready day one as a rookie to be a starter to where he is now, I just haven't seen the big jump uh, in in ability and uh, and also just in like the consistency of his play. So uh, I don't think that any of those interior spots are locked in stone. I do like uh, Charles Cross at the left tackle. I think he, you know, barring the injuries that he had this year, I thought he played some pretty good football. Took him a while to get back in the groove. Uh, his overall grade, you can look at the pro football focus and all that stuff if you want. But like down the stretch of the season, he was playing really good football and he was consistently grading out as one of the top left tackles in the league. And so I still think that there's uh, as, as it comes to pass blocking, I think he's going to still get better at that. I've seen him get better in the run game. But I do think that you have to find some linemen. And you, I think that's where you start. <laughs> you got to go like, how are we going to protect dudes? And how are we going to create lanes for guys to run in? Because whatever offense you run involves those two things. And if you don't have those guys that can, that can create lanes and create protection, it's not going to work. It doesn't matter what the scheme is. Hey, at, what about center? Are you a believer in Evan Brown? They bring him back. Are you a believer in the future of Volu Oluwatimi, or do you feel like that's a spot they should address as well? Uh, I think you can always uh, try to look at the spot, but I'm going to be honest with you. I think the two of those, to me, uh, both of those guys are kind of a wash. Uh, I think um, uh, one reason that Evan Brown got the start is because of the experience he had, but I don't think that there was a big difference between the two of them. The only thing that I do feel is that uh, I think Olu has more space to, to gain to be better. Uh, I, you know, I, he's a guy that you know I had a history with because he played at Virginia for a couple of years, and so I talked to him a lot throughout the season, and I just kind of gave him little nuggets that I saw that you know he could he could improve on, and then I would see him improve on those things, and so I think he has a chance to be uh, a really good center in this league, and so I, I think you have to give him a chance to see uh, to see what you have there, and he played. I mean, I don't know that that guy was at Michigan when when he was there, but he played at Michigan on one of the top lines and one of the top centers in the entire country. So uh, I think he has a chance to be good. And uh, But you can always uh, create competition uh, so they can push the best out of people. Hey, Ray, this is kind of a <laughs> something we've I know we've talked about before, but you're talking about Damian Lewis, and he started off as right guard, correct? Or was yeah. it? Yeah. And then, yes. and then they moved him to left guard, and then he said it didn't bother him. Um I don't know. Is that still a thing like for you it, when you were playing? Is, would that be different nowadays? Or is it like, I, I can't remember the tackle. There was a tackle at one point where everybody was asking him, like, what's the difference between left and right? And he's like, well, what hand do you write with? You know, okay, try writing with your mm-hmm. with your other hand. And, you know, it was, is it still, do you think, a big deal for, for most offensive linemen? Or is that something that has kind of gone away? I, th- I think it's, it's still a deal at tackle because um, the like that like that whoever gave you that example is dead on like it's like like you know I played left tackle from the first day they put me at tackle at Virginia until the last day I retired from the NFL and if you had put me at right tackle it would have been unbelievably weird to try to figure out like where the power angles are yeah. um, I would usually be right hand strong and but then on the right side that's my outside hand. And so if I'm strong on that side, I'm going to be weak on the inside. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a, it's a really hard thing to do unless it's something you've done throughout your career. Like I played with a guy, Mike Compton in Detroit, and he played center. He played right guard, left guard, right tackle, left tackle. 
he was just kind of move used to moving around like that. But if you want to have dudes that have PhDs in what they do, uh, when you try to switch to tackles, it's really hard to do. Um, but uh, the guards, not so much, uh, mm-hmm. because you tend to play even-handed as a guard, um, and uh, and you tend to uh, have the same type of spatial awareness. Um, but you know, out on the edge, there's just more space, and then there's just more opportunity to take advantage of of your um, uh, lack of muscle memory from the outside to the inside. And so I don't think it was that big a deal. I just think that with Damian Lewis, um, I just, I don't know that, um, I don't want to speak for, for him or for anybody else. I just, I just know for me, uh, I just didn't see the improvement that I thought I would see considering a guy who Pete from day one said, man, we put him in, in a, a guard as a rookie because he was ready to go. And you would think with all those reps and all the plan that he would be a, a little bit better, more consistently. And uh, and so I, I don't think it bothered him going right to left at center, but it is a bigger deal on the edges. Yeah. Hey, you know, one other thing that Dave and I were talking about in, in relation to the Baltimore Ravens is, you know, who of their free agents would you want to come over here? Who might, you know, McDonald sort of, you know, throw the sales pitch at to come to Seattle. Are there any of their I know they've got a couple of guards that are that are going to be free agents. I'm not that dialed into their O-line. It, I'm not sure how you feel about, you know, Kevin Zeitler or or John Simpson. I'm just looking at a list of the their free agents, right. but those are two guards. Do you have any feelings about anybody on that O-line from from uh, Baltimore? Uh not necessarily because you won't be bringing the offensive coordinator from Baltimore more than likely. You know, so so even though uh, they were run heavy and physical football team there doesn't mean that that guy or whoever they have, and I haven't looked into who was available from them, but it wouldn't, doesn't mean that it's going to translate to Seattle because you'll have a totally different dude calling plays, a totally kind of different approach to how you're going to run the ball and, and play offense. So I don't know that, um, uh, that that's just a, a straight line uh, uh, availability to kind of, to, to kind of do that. So, I think you have to give the staff time to kind of look and see what they have, evaluate how they're, how they're going to play football and the types of dudes that they want to have it. And then I would take a um, a page from the Dan Campbell book. And uh, the, the thing that they did with their ownership and Brad Holmes is they were unbelievably intentional and in, in finding dudes that was going to fit the culture that Dan Campbell wanted. So every single dude was handpicked around this kind of grit and toughness and physicality and all that kind of stuff. Love football. Like they handpicked every single little dude, every single dude to be on that team. And so it fit their culture. And so I think that uh, as you're reshaping the culture here into what uh, uh, McDonald's vision of it is, I think they should do the same thing. Uh, and so that does, that means if some dudes here have to go and you pick up some dudes from the Ravens or you pick up for agents from somewhere else, I think they have to be that intentional about it. You think it's toughness that that needs to to be the you know physical. They need to be you know attack. Is it is it that kind of thing? You, do you think would that be the the one word that you would sort of describe what a, a future Seahawk would look like? <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I think um, the, the first of all, I just I don't buy into the fact that dudes are not tough in the NFL. Mm. I just, I mean, you're tough. Like, like uh, you play with injury, you play with your body hurting, you're putting your body on the line, and you may show up some days better than other days, but there's there's not dudes in the league, to me, that are not tough. 
Like, yeah. he, I, I don't buy into this idea that, oh, he's not tough or we're not tough or this other kind of thing. Yeah, I, think that, the, the, I think the thing that's important is however you want to play football, whether you want to call it uh, physical or quickness or speed or whatever, you have to you have to find be intentional about finding the dudes that that fit that, and versus trying to put a round hole uh, a square peg into a round hole. And so you want to if you're if you're going to play like a square peg, then then or with a square hole, then find a square peg. You know, <laughs> like yeah. it's more than likely it's going to work. You know what I'm saying? So um, that's the way that's the way I would look at it. And then uh, and then and then I think you have to kind of foster the culture. If you look at uh, Detroit again. Uh, Dan Campbell's first year, they started out uh, 0-10-1. I think they won three games that year. But they had a plan, and the plan was to, to be patient, to build a culture, to get the right dues, and then all of a sudden it all came together. And some people think it came together a year earlier than what they thought. And so I think I think that's a great way to, to, to go about it. And uh, and so that means that you know even though the, the team has had some success and they had a winning record last year and maybe could have squeaked into the, the playoffs, uh, that – you know, the, the fan base has to have patience. Uh, when I was in master's program at the University of Washington, I did this uh, study on the correlation between um, colleges that had great facilities uh, and their successes and colleges that didn't have great facilities and their successes. And the, the thing that I found was that there was a correlation between, not between that, but between having the right people and giving them the right appropriate amount of time. Because if you have the right people with the appropriate amount of time, they'll be successful. And so, to me, those are the things that that um, that has to happen here for this team to get to where they want to go. All right, toughness, wrong word. How about this? Uh, how about um, as far as the practices being more physical? Do you think that that's something that's lacking, or you know? And I'm not trying to make it sound like a, a macho thing yeah. or anything like that, but like I, I just feel like. You know, you saw Dan Campbell when in Hard Knocks, where he did have like full padded, you know, scrums and and you know, uh, live practice and things like that. Do you think that's that's something that's necessary and that we've gotten away from in the NFL? Absolutely, Dave. I I, I agree with that piece 100. percent I I don't know that I could practice uh, with just shells on and then go and be the physical dude um, that they would want me to be. I, I tended to play like I practiced. So if I had a bad week of practice, man, it was hell on Saturday night. Like trying to trying to get myself ready to go for Sunday because I knew I had a you know in my mind I didn't practice well. Uh, if I wasn't able to finish blocks and really get physically into blocks, it wasn't going to happen on Sunday. Now you have some dudes that can do that, like our Walter Jones. Walter can miss all the training camp and still yeah. be an All Pro. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, like but those, those there's not very many of those dudes. Uh, I do think that offensive line play has suffered uh, in, in, in the way the NFL practices are run these days because of the lack of physicality. Like the, the, you, you can't learn how to get into blocks and finish blocks and you get the quick whistle in practice. So you can't really take a guy to a ground or even get him close to where you might take him to the ground. Like those types of things. Tackling is always slow getting started like in the, in the uh, regular season because so many teams have not, actually been physical in practice. So I do think that I understand why they do it, Dave, uh, but I feel like there has to be a a landing place where you can accomplish both safety and still be able to be physical. It's a physical sport. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to prepare yourself to be physical. So you can't hit bags all day and then go like, okay, now I'm going to go hit this moving target that's 
you know, six six and three hundred and twenty pounds and can bench press the world. Like, mm-hmm. It's just it doesn't relate. Yeah, and I, I know coach wants to be the idiot that gets a guy hurt who because they practice too hard, and so there's always the right. the fear of that. So yeah, that's a it's kind of a, a tough line to walk there. So, so Ray, yeah, it is, it is. We got we got Coach McDonald filling out his his uh, coaching staff to this point. Uh, how do how do we get you in there for the uh, for the O line job? How do we how do we get that going? <laughs> I don't know if I could do that grind, dude, but uh, but the thing I would love to do, and this is the God honest truth, like I'd love uh, evaluating film and then helping guys understand what it is they're, that they're being coached. Uh, I, don't, I don't ever try to, like, go against what dudes are being coached, but I try to help them understand what they're being coached and so that it fits who they are and how they play. Mm. And I've done that with dudes I know in the NFL that I've met in college. I've done it with – uh, you know, I, I'd send messages to UVA's uh, offensive line all the time. Uh, dudes send me tape uh, for me to watch on all different levels, and I give them insights and different things like that. But never to the uh, never to the uh, opposition of what they've been coached. I always try to understand how they've been coached, and then teach them how to interpret what they've been coached in a way that they can be successful at it. Like I like that kind of stuff more than I want to go out and run drills and hold bags and scream and yell, and blow the whistles and all that kind of stuff. I got you. I got you. All right. Well, that's, that's better for us. That way we can continue to bring you on here and have these conversations. Cause if you became a coach, we probably never hear from you again. Yeah, he'd big time us. Yeah, yeah. I know. You know, I'm big time. Yeah, I'd have to be like, hey, well, you know, uh, we got this big game coming up. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Ray, we always appreciate you, my friend. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. All right, thank you guys for having me, man. I, and I always look forward to coming on. Thanks, Ray. Big Ray Roberts right. with us each each time we have a conversation. I feel like this guy should be coaching. This guy should be coaching at some level, at some whether it is just an assistant to a coach. Perhaps he doesn't have to go through that grind. And I, he likes, like he said, certain parts of it. And I'm with him on that. Like standing around at practice, there's lots of standing. Bob. Yeah, there's lots a lot of, of waiting. Standing. You like waiting though. There's lots of waiting. <laughs> Dave uh, likes waiting. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, I can understand because him and I coached high school football together for a couple of years. So. Yeah, it was. Uh, we would find little ways to keep ourselves entertained during, uh, you know, by making fun of the young coaches or things like that. As you should. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, coming up, there are two favorites emerging for the Seahawks' offensive coordinator job. We'll get into who those guys are and who's best. Who's the best fit? Coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks to Big Ray Roberts, who joined us in the previous segment. In case you guys missed that conversation or didn't catch all of it, it will be available on the podcast page at seattlesports.com after the show. Meanwhile, a couple of names out there that uh, are floating around as potential offensive coordinators for this Seattle Seahawks team now that there's a new head coach. We did tell you earlier in the program, in case you missed that, that the Seahawks are hiring Leslie Frazier, according to Tom Pelissero, as their assistant head coach. Not sure what those duties would, would uh, entail, but apparently he's been a mentor to, to Mike McDonald. So good for him having that. We were talking about just getting some experience, somebody who's been through it. 
you know, on that staff, some some uh, some wisdom, if you will, for a first time young head coach. So that's that seems like a nice hire there. Yeah, Leslie Frazier. He he didn't he wasn't in football last year, and he said that he was going to return to football in in twenty twenty four. And so here we go. But and I'm not sure the sure the reasons why he he wasn't. But the last uh, position he held was assistant head coach and D, D coordinator of the Bills. 20, uh, 2020 through 2022. So, and he was with the Bills as their defensive coordinator for three years. So, it kind of sounds like the guy we talked about that they might hire, right? Yeah, he's like, been a head coach. Yeah, and then he can be kind of the steward of of Mike McDonald's defense yeah. and help sort of lighten the load when he's doing all of his head coaching duties. Yeah, I like I like it. I don't I don't know that it's been made official by the team as of yet. I haven't seen that part yet, but Tom Pelissero put that out there. Bob Contoto retweeted that. So, looks like it's uh just a formality before it becomes official, but good for them. That, that seems like a really good hire. Yeah, and real quick, just you know, I won't go through everything, but Frazier's been an NFL lifer pretty much. You know, I mean, he's he's one of these guys. He, I mean, he, in college, he was coaching college in the late '90s, but in for the last you know 20, 25 years, he's been a Philadelphia. Or I'm sorry, a uh, he's at, he was started in Philadelphia in the pros, but yeah, he's he's one of those guys that's been around the game for a long time. So is is so you got him on board? Um, the the two names we've seen so far for the offensive coordinator spot, and there could be more that they're talking to that aren't public, but uh, we, we talked about Ryan Grubb yesterday. That, mm-hmm. that came out from, uh, I think, Florio was the first one, pro football talk, put that out there, that Ryan Grubb, former UW offensive coordinator and presumed offensive coordinator of Alabama, although I guess it's not officially on their website or whatever. I don't know what that means, but uh, the idea of him coming back is, as we touched on, very appealing to many spurned Husky fans who are just, who, <laughs> yeah. Probably couldn't care less if he were a good OC or not for the Seahawks as long as it made things uncomfortable for Kalen DeBoer. They're going to be happy for at least the first year. So that name's out there. And then uh, a guy named Tanner Engstrand, who's the Lions passing game coordinator, is uh, another one that's in the mix. And apparently a couple teams have interest in him. So that offense, I mean, started with Ben Johnson as a head coaching candidate, but that was it was a fun offense to watch. You know, they, they, had, a, they had a lot going on, and at times I – Compared them to the greatest show on turf, not saying they were as good, but just at moments they had so much happening and guys would be wide open. It was like they had an extra guy on the field. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think um, one of the things that you're going to find is that now, yeah, this might be a well known name, the offensive coordinator. And in my mind, they kind of got the guy who's going to be the defensive coordinator. I mean, it'll be Mike McDonald, but Leslie Frazier is there. And then you're just going to see a lot of very unfamiliar names. And it was the same thing when, when Pete hired out his staff, right? We're mm-hmm. like, who's this guy? I don't remember where he's from. But the Ryan Grubb one would be would be very sort of fascinating and somewhat humorous, I guess, because of the... <laughs> People wanting, it, people wanting to stick it to, to Kalen DeBoer. And, you know, supposedly he's down in Alabama. I don't think he's signed anything there yet. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think from, from here on out, you're just going to have to trust the coach. And, and look, you know, uh, we talked about assistance and hiring them. And, you know, one of the things with Dan Quinn is he knows more people. But Schneider was saying in, in the press conference with Mike McDonald that, he know that they started talking and they know a lot of the same guys. Mm-hmm. So um, that I thought that was encouraging that you know they're going to be able to get together and you know John or or Mike you know one or the other will have at least you know knows who the guy is and has met him you know run across to run cross paths somewhere 
And uh, I, I feel like, though, it's going to be a lot of these Ryan Grubb, Tanner Angstrom, where you're like, who? But, you know, it's not going to be nearly as exciting. But it'll be cool for them to get their staff set. And I would think that's got to be, like, the highest priority. When I watched those two guys walked right past me, John and Mike McDonald, at the at the press conference, and they were just, like, focused in. They weren't even looking outside of, you know, I got to get up this aisleway so we can get upstairs and go to work. That's That's the look they had. Good. I love hearing yeah. that. I love hearing that. Now, there are some names that have been hired as offensive coordinators out there, the most familiar of which is Cliff Kingsbury being hired by the Raiders. I would, as much as we kind of, you know, would pick on him about what kind of head coach he was and just didn't have that personality or fire, he came with that reputation well-earned of an offensive mind, and it didn't translate as a head coach, but as an OC, I wouldn't have minded him here. I wouldn't have had any issue with that, would you? No. I, I, yeah, I thought he was a great... He was a great my I mean I look whenever I saw him and and um blanking on their quarterback's name because I don't really care Kyler for Murray. him that much. Murray, I, I feel like it was always kind of Kyler Murray. He was he was maybe, you know, the one more demonstrative and they mm-hmm. they seemed to, to get after each other. Um so yeah, I've got no problem with Cliff Kingsbury. That guy knows how to live, by the way. Remember before that one draft where he tweeted out that picture of his home yeah and it was up on this mountain and That's nice you know, yeah he had this <laughs> awesome you know very modern and modern big. yeah lots of windows he knows how to live but yeah I, I thought yeah he's he's a great example of like joshy boy you know great offensive coordinator just not not really cut out to be a leader now we we talked about you know when ryan grubb's name came out it was like okay is that a, is that a huge jump for a guy that's an OC at the college level to be yeah. in OC at the pro level because typically they go from OC at the college level to a position coach of some sort and sort of work their way back into that position at the pro level. But we've seen two hires here. Uh, Liam Cohen, who was the University of Kentucky uh, offensive coordinator, is now the offensive coordinator for the Bucks. Mm-hmm. So he's making that leap. And then uh, the Packers, they, they hired the dude from uh, – BC. Oh yeah, not an offensive guy, but Jeff Halfley going from head coach to their defensive coordinator. So okay. some uh, college to pro jumps. Yeah, so so they kind of bypassing that whole work your way up to you know position coach to assistant to whatever to coordinator. Well, I'll be honest. Uh, for the last fourteen years, we haven't really tracked this kind of thing, right? Not at all. So you know, I think. That's probably has been going on, and maybe that's something that's maybe a little bit more ten years ago or whatever. I was talking about some of the guys in in Pete's staff. So, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's kind of how the NFL goes, though, right? It's like you you know tell the story about Jim Zorn wanting to coach, goes to Chuck mm-hmm. Knox, you go here, you go there, work your way up, but you know now at this position, if you show hey you can run an offense at the uh, at the college level. And, you know, you, you go up and meet with the, the team and go through everything and you you have enough knowledge and why not hire him as the offensive coordinator? I think that's, you know, everybody's going kind of younger and I, I feel like that's kind of part of that uh, that transition in the NFL. And, and frankly, if the guy's really good, why make him go and coach high school and go and coach junior high and things like that? Why not have a guy like Mike McDonald who – so he starts coaching. I think it was was it the year after he was out of high school that he no he went to college first. Yeah, I think he was coaching the ninth grade. The he freshman was coaching team. the ninth grade team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. his uh, his first year in college, he was back coaching in high school. Oh, he was yeah. okay. Yeah, so it was right. He was fresh out of out of high school. So, you know, it's just it's different 
nowadays. And so, but I thought your point, you brought that up yesterday that, yeah, the normal process is that, that you go to like a position coach and then you get to be the coordinator. But I feel like it's, it's just a little bit different nowadays that, you know, you, you show somebody with all the technology and everything that they have, that they can look at it from anywhere and look at what this guy's doing. I mean, I feel like, you know, the flow of information and everything is, is much more extreme than it was. And that's probably something that we're going to see more of. Just comes down to, do you know ball, Dave? Yeah. If you know ball, some people don't know ball. That's what I've heard. (laughs) All right. One new NFL head coach says he wouldn't have had his job without Pete Carroll. We're going to hear about that when we sweep the dial. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710. Scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial. Every afternoon at 445 with Wyman and Bob. You've heard from a lot of uh, new coaches getting introduced over the last few days. Played some nice Jim Harbaugh clips. Heard a lot from Mike McDonald, obviously. But Dave Canales had his introductory Panthers presser earlier this week as well and uh, gave a lot of credit to Pete Carroll for getting him to where he is now in his career. Which takes me back to my time in Seattle. And to formulate an identity, to formulate a football DNA that wins. And so I'm just really appreciative of Pete Carroll, who pushed me to think about the next thing. Quit looking just at the quarterback. Quit just staring at the wide receiver's route. Open your eyes. What's happening with these combos? You see what the defense is doing? Did you notice we're playing a lot more of this coverage this camp? Open your eyes. Think bigger. Be prepared. I can't thank Pete enough. That's cool. It's good to hear that. Pete deserves kudos. That's the one, the only negative to yesterday is at times I was thinking, man, where's, where's Pete? Is he watching this? And I just, I don't know, felt kind of bad. He's such a he's been such a staple out here. You're just 14 years. Still, it's kind of surreal that he's not here. But. I know, and he he was he was such a fantastic guy. Like he he would stop and spend time real quick before we get to the next one. He stopped me one time and asked me about my knees, and he goes, "Hey, I just got mine replaced, and it's phenomenal. You need to go down here." He's giving me the name of the doctor. Meanwhile, there's somebody ushering him off to like an interview or something that's standing there waiting, going. Uh, Pete, we got to go. We got to yeah. go. And he he just would, you know, and he would spend time with, with pretty much everybody. But, you know, Dave Canales, good for him. I mean, 2009, he was the assistant strength coach at USC. And then he fought, he went with Pete to, uh, you know, to to the next level and was a wide receiver coach from 2010 through 17, then went quarterback coach and passing being coordinator. So, yeah, of course, he is very sentimental about Pete Carroll. Sweeping the dial. We haven't talked too much about the Senior Bowl, but uh, certainly will be a lot to recap after it happens tomorrow. But practice is going on all week. And uh, ESPN's draft analyst, Matt Miller, was on SportsCenter yesterday, breaking down how Michael Penix and Bo Nix looked out there. Today, they were crisp. Today was, okay, these guys look like NFL quarterbacks today. Uh, both look great. Penix, the arm strength is, is so obvious in person. The ball just flies out of his hand. He's such an impressive thrower. Knicks, you get more of the total package. You know, you get someone who's, you know, got good accuracy, really good mobility, smart player, uh, a really good leader. You can see that in practices. So it's, it's easy to understand why, you know, these players have such a, a good reputation and why NFL teams are so excited about them. 
I'll tell you what, a lot of the, the draft choices and, you know, where a guy is selected comes down to what happened this week at the Senior Bowl mm-hmm. and the, the practices. I was just looking through. There's, you know, and I won't go through the names, but there's a bunch of guys that aren't top, you know, top tier guys that um, some of the analysts are looking at down there. Top five risers of the Senior Bowl week. And it's the practice part of it is, you know, that's the most important. That's where all the coaches and everybody goes. I don't know. Um, if if the Seahawks had their staff down there, I know John didn't go because he's pretty busy. Yeah, he had other things. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, so I'm not sure how many guys were down there, but that is uh, that is definitely a huge deal. That um, y- y- the Senior Bowl, and it's again, it's the practices. Everybody goes home for the game, but it's it's good to hear Penix is uh, is starting to. You know, we didn't see him in the first round mock drafts at all, and. You know, if he has a good senior bowl and, and plays well in the game, that'll help him a lot. You said everybody, all the scouts and everybody leave for the game? They don't They don't watch that part? Yeah, they just watch the film. Hmm. But they want to be down there on the field, and they all are. You can see at those practices, it's crowded. And I've been right. down there. Like, you, like, you're standing there. For me, I was standing there watching a drill, and I looked next to me, and there's Mike Singletary. You know, so they had every everybody goes down there for that stuff except for the Seahawks this year because they're busy. But Well, maybe uh, they have some people oh, yeah. not named John, that, you know, yeah. their scouts or whatever down there. Yeah, I know that their they're top two or three, including John, didn't go, but I'm sure they had some. And plus, uh, is it Bill Nagy? Is Nagy the guy that runs the... Jim Nagy. Jim Nagy runs the uh, the Senior Bowl, and he was actually a scout for the Seahawks for, for a long time. So they get... I'm sure they got a little pipeline of information there, but yeah, it's it's kind of interesting that they all hang out down there during the practice, watch how they interact on the field, and that's important. Yeah, it's funny to just the game. Eh. All right. Yeah, they can watch that on uh, on tape and pretty much get anything that they want. But when you see guys how they, I remember that was why John drafted Russell Wilson. He was on the uh, on the Rose Bowl down on the field, and when Wisconsin was playing, was it Oregon? I can't remember who it was when Russ was at the Rose Bowl, but. Yeah, he was he was all over what Russ was doing during the games, the way he managed it, the way he was on the sidelines. He loved that about Russ. And those are the things you see when you're there. Sweeping the dial. Dan Patrick throws out uh, something I think a lot of people would get behind. He is emphatically saying, move the Super Bowl to Saturday. If we have two weeks in between conference title games and the Super Bowl, how about we play the Super Bowl on the Saturday instead of the Sunday, two weeks after the AFC-NFC title games. Who's with me? Everybody. Yes. Wouldn't it be great that you have all of this time, so both teams get plenty of rest, Saturday is the Super Bowl, Sunday you get to recover. Why don't, I, I don't mind that idea. I'd rather just make Monday a holiday. Oh, that's even better, Bob. <laughs> and then you've got a short week. Then you've got a four, you get the day to recover, and you've got a four-day work week. So I, I don't know what Dan Patrick is talking about. He has to recover. Recover from what? Yeah, I don't know. What is he doing during yeah, he the Super Bowl? He could be a big boozer. Whatever Michael Buble is doing. Maybe yeah, they're, they're dosing mushrooms. <laughs> he thought it was a microdose. <laughs> he was lying. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean. I, I like your idea better. They'll turn it into a holiday. Yeah, Bob yeah. Stelton for president. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, you get the day off, but I like the idea of that being followed by the short week. But I, if they made it a Saturday thing, that's fine, too. Yeah. I, I can't imagine players, once they've had two weeks off, are going to go, oh, we're getting 
cheated out of a day to prepare, I think you, you should be fine, right? Plus, it would be hilarious and a further indication that the NFL is trying to take over the world, that now national holidays are being called because of the NFL. Can you imagine the NFL has its own holiday. Then you're right. Then you know they've they're not just entertainment. They're yeah. they're part of they're part of people's lives. It's it's it's, it's, it's <laughs> occupies a different space than any other form of entertainment. What would be the uh, this be a good job for the uh, or thing for the texters eight six six nine seven nine three seven seven six. What would you call the holiday? What would it be named? An NFL sort of themed. Yeah, day that's a good off question. On they, Monday, it, it would have to be palatable for all the uh, legal, all the lawmakers out there to embrace it. Yeah, so, so it couldn't be like Hangover Recovery Monday or something. Right. It couldn't be anything like five hundred nine. Pure genius, Bob. Pure genius. <laughs> You're the best, Jerry. The best. The best. That's gold. That's gold, Jerry. Uh, all right. Sweeping the dial is powered by Seattle University men's basketball. Coming up, there's an intriguing name that one show brought up for a potential Seahawks offensive coordinator. We're going to hear that in Best of the Rest. It's coming your way next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.